This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Group. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for other great podcasts. You're listening to Coffin Cast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Bonjour, mes amis. This episode of Coffin Cast is brought to you by Four Years of High School French. That I don't remember. Anyway, welcome. Bienvenue to Coffin Cast. I'm your hostess, Kristen. Glad you're here. What day is it? I don't know what day it is. I think these are supposed to be out on Monday. I think it's... Wait, no, it is Monday still, technically, but Monday at midnight kind of came and went, and here we are. So for this episode, couple warnings. It's gonna get dirty. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. But we can do this together. But you may want to put on headphones. You may not want to blare this in your car. You may not want to play it when your children are around or other people's children are around. It's going to get inappropriate. (laughs) And it's not going to get any better as we go. So keep that in mind. Also, there's some themes in this not really themes, but things, I guess I should say, that happen that are uncomfortable for, you know, if you're, I don't want to say easily offended because this should offend people. It offends me, (laughs) but just keep in mind there's some triggering things in here. If you're triggered by um, acts of abuse, physical, sexual then, you know, go listen to the the Payne Stewart episode of last week. And I won't be offended because you got to do what's best for you. And I trust that you will do the best thing for you. I'd rather you not listen and come back to me at another time than listen and then go, oh my God, I'm never listening to this lady again. She's so gross. So <laughs> with that, let's talk about some happy things first. So I finally have a Tee Public store. So if you go to tpublic.com, search Coffin Cast, you'll find t-shirts, you'll find hoodies, you'll find notebooks, you'll find reusable grocery bags, I guess, or totes. You'll even find pillows so you and I can spoon in spirit because ain't nobody getting any action over here. I'll take it in pillow form, I guess. I don't know. What does that even mean? (laughs) Anyway, for your COVID-19 coronavirus quarantine needs, there's a mask with my logo on it. How cool is that? But the problem is, as you can imagine, there's a shortage of masks, so I can't even get one. Not that I've been trying. I have totally been trying to get a mask with my logo on it. But nobody can get them right now. So keep trying if that's something you're into. I won't be offended. It's a conversation piece. What's on your face? Coffin cast is on my face. What? Okay, this the subject this week is wearing off on me. I need to stop. 
as we're speaking of quarantines and COVID-19, I've started writing and working on a new podcast. Um, it was kind of a shower idea. I have really weird ideas for podcasts while I'm in the shower. I have like 50,000 in my brain. But this one's actually come to fruition. Thank God. Um, it's called Dispatches of Disassociation. It's about two 30, 40-somethings who find each other on a Tinder date. And it was a really great Tinder date, I think. We don't know yet. And they were separated right as quarantine was starting. So I was it, how it kind of came about is I was thinking in the shower, is this going to be a Ken Burns documentary someday? Because I was thinking Civil War, you know, the letters in that documentary, the Dust Bowl documentary, I was thinking of the relaxing Peter Coyote voice, even though I don't believe he's alive anymore. I should know this. I'm, I'm coffin cast. I should know. But I don't off the top of my head, but it's kind of rugged, partially Southern accent, but very soothing, talking about, you know, the suffering people had during the quarantine and, you know, would there be letters like the Civil War letters and, you know, how would people look at us in the future? And so I was like kind of thinking that and I'm like thinking of these stupid letters that people would send and you know, what's the biggest tragedy? Because, like, you think of Civil War letters, you think of the man separated from his wife during this and writing how he's scared and, you know, how he wants to return to her and all this stuff. And, you know, I thought, is that happening to anybody in quarantine right now? Like, did people go on Tinder dates and then get separated? But they, but it was a good date. And, you know, I'm kind of just blabbing here, but... You have to listen. It's come so, it's, it's so amazing to have this come together as it is. And I've had, I've been so blessed with two guys working on this with me. So there's Dan from Assorted Goods, the Assorted Goods podcast, who does the narration. And I swear to God, the guy could be an NPR <laughs> DJ. He has such an amazing voice. And then also we have Jeff from the Round and Round podcast, who is doing the voice of the male protagonist. I guess that's what we would call him in this one. His voice, I told him the other day, your voice kind of sounds like Bob Ross and it's very soothing and relaxing. So listen to it just for the ASMR of his voice. ASMR. Yes, I said that right. He's got the best voice. And every time I listen to his recordings, I just giggle because it's like, it's such, it's, it's so weird. It reminds me of Bob Ross. But either way, definitely check out Dispatches of Disassociation and also check out Jeff's podcast, The Round and Round podcast, and also Dan's podcast at The Assorted Goods. And we will be adding in more people as time goes on. We're adding another character next week. So if you've listened and you're like, oh, what's going to happen next week? There's a new character coming in that I won't reveal just now. And then we're going to add more as the time goes on. So it's all going to be interconnected. It'll be a lot of fun. So with that, also, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here, but we're going to do it. 
So let's talk about what we're covering this week. Let's get into it. So this idea came from Shep's Deep Dive on Twitter at Deep Shep's. Give him a listen. He also has a podcast. I was going to start this out by reading an excerpt from a book that our subject got arrested for, but I'm kind of like on the fence about doing it. Here's kind of why. I was thinking, okay, it was the 1700s. He got arrested for this book. Oh, it'll probably be a little, you know, body and, oh, the woman of ill repute showed her stockinged ankle or whatever. And I thought that's what was going to happen. Nah, no, hey, that, no. His books were banned for a total, like a cumulative total of a thousand years. Meaning that all of his books were more or less banned for 200 years before they started getting released, give or take. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to learn about the Marquis de Sade. First, I'd like to share a promo for a very awesome person. Waffles, as he is affectionately known, is one of the most supportive people in the podcasting world. Podcasters are by nature very supportive people. They want other podcasts to succeed. It's not either me or you. It's me and you. We're going to do this together. Waffles is one of the greatest examples of that. And he has a podcast So I'd like to allow Waffles and Mario to tell you about their podcast, and it's called Waffles and Mario Talk About Things. So I'll let them tell you a bit about themselves, and then we will get into the Marquis de Sade. Hey, Waffles. Hey, Mario. Hey, we've got 30 seconds to talk about what our podcast is about. What do you want to do? Oh, uh, Waffles and Mario Talk About Things. Mm. Uh, It's a... um... How, do you, how would you describe the podcast? I describe it as a podcast where both of us being funny people talk about things that we find funny. Well, does do we have to find it funny? No, or? we don't. We very rarely find things funny. Can we just talk about things and then we find the humor in that? Maybe. I don't know. I don't laugh. I'm not. A, I'm a sociopath. You are. Yeah. And so are you. I am. And that's what, that's what our podcast is about. The two sociopaths talking about things. Yes. All right, everyone. Let's get inappropriate. We're going to start this like a seventh grade book report with a definition sadism the tendency to derive pleasure especially sexual gratification from inflicting pain suffering or humiliation on others origin french from the french word sadisme from the comte de sade or as he was sometimes known the marquis de sade let's go back all the way to 1740 hotel de conde paris a little baby boy was born donatienne alphonse francois de sade His father, the Count de Sade, ditched him and his mother when he was a small child. To add insult to injury, his mother decided to get herself to a convent as soon as the divorce was final. So, little Sade was all on his lonesome. But at least his father left him with enough servants to raise him into a well-adjusted young man with impeccable manners. Just kidding, he was a twat. The servants were commanded to give in to his every whim, so naturally... He grew up spoiled, and he had a temper that wouldn't quit. Somewhere along the line, someone decided that the little boy needed to be parented, so he was sent to a Jesuit college, Lycée Louis Legrand. 
Presumably, this was to get him some Jesus. He was tutored closely by a priest by the name of Abbe Jacques-Francois Amblay. That's not a tongue twister or anything. The priest later said about his famous pupil, quote, passionate temperament which made him eager in the pursuit of pleasure, but had a good heart. It was there that he was corporally punished for being a bad boy, including flagellation, because you know Christians are big on that shit. So flagellation, even though it sounds like a fancy way to say passing gas, it actually means to beat oneself with an object, oneself or someone else with an object. So like a whip, for instance, a cat of nine tails, if that's your thing, or a rod. So it was here that he discovered that he was really into flagellation and corporal punishment. And by into it, I mean he was really into it. So his behavior naturally reflected his enjoyment of his punishment, so he was punished quite often. But somehow, by the grace of God, he ended up in a very prestigious military academy, and the next few years were spent moving up the military ladder. He was seeming perfectly normal at the time, um, but he rose all the way to a colonel of a dragoon unit, and he fought in the Seven Years' War. Now, just to let you know, because in Coffin Cast, we're all about education and history, the Seven Years' War was named because that's how long it lasted. I'm sure you didn't know that, but now you do, and you're welcome. After he got out of the military, his family decided it was time to arrange a marriage for him. Now, he had a girl in mind. He had his eye on a rich magistrate's daughter, and her name was Anne Prosper. De Lunay. This match would have been beneficial to both families because that family was rich, but the sods, the disods, I should say, had land, they had power, they had a title. So it would have been advantageous for Anne to end up with him. However, if you've read the books like, or seen the movies even, like Water for Chocolate or The Color Purple, You know that if a guy falls for the youngest daughter, it ain't going to happen. The oldest one has to marry first. So in this instance, the dad was like, no, I'm saying that in the French way of saying no, no, you are not going to marry Anne, but here's my eldest daughter, Renee Pelagie. And so he married her in 1763, but don't worry He still slept with Anne, too, on the regular. (sighs) After they got married, they moved in with her folks in Paris, but he did have a secret apartment where he could practice his proclivities in private. He would bring prostitutes over and basically abuse them or have them abuse him. And it got to such a... Hmm... What's the word I'm looking for? It got to such a level that the brothels in Paris, their owners were like, you know what? No, I'm not sending any of my girls to your apartment because you're abusing them. And then the police started to hear about this. So they were keeping an eye on him and he was arrested often for abusing prostitutes. 
that's not funny. I don't know why I left. Probably because this is such an uncomfortable topic for me. Um, but yeah, he was abusing prostitutes and the police were like, no, they would throw him in jail quite often. And it got to the point where he was arrested so often. Finally, they exiled him from Paris and sent him to his family home in Lacoste. Now, at Lacoste, you would think, okay, he's been punished. He's been exiled from Paris, of all places. That'll tone him down, right? Because he'll be with his family and his young children. He had three children, two boys and one girl, and his wife was there. You'd think that might temper him a little bit because he's been getting in trouble. No, it kind of made him worse. So, in 1786, a poor widow named Rose Keller made the mistake of begging for alms from him. He was like, tell you what, how about I give you a job? She had a young child. She was all on her own. She was very poor. He's like, I will give you a job as a housekeeper in my home. So she comes to start working. He takes her in a room, rips off her clothes, ties her to a sofa face down and whips her for hours. And then he pours hot wax in her wounds. She ended up escaping by jumping out of a window. See, it wasn't just in riding with this guy. This guy was really, really messed up. So she was naturally paid off, but Saad's mother-in-law was pissed. So she obtained what is known as a French, sorry, a lettre de cachet, which is basically a royal letter signed by the king, which subjected Saad to being imprisoned without a trial. It was meant to save the family, you know, from the embarrassment of a trial, what have you. But it also kept Saad under his mother-in-law's thumb. That wasn't the last of his big scandals, though. Not even by a long shot. He also took his manservant slash lover to Marseille for a vacay, and they found four prostitutes and decided to drug them without their consent. So... Once they realized they were probably going to get in trouble for this, they hightailed it to Italy. In absentia, they were sentenced to death for poisoning and sodomy. But again, they were in Italy, so they couldn't do much about it. It was in his Italian exile that he began to write. During this time, he wrote a memoir of his time on the run called Voyage to Italy. He didn't finish or publish the book, but it was found and published in 1995. The two were caught eventually and imprisoned in 1772. He escaped four months later back to his home in Lacoste with his wife and three children. Now, again, okay, so he's been sentenced to death now. You'd think, okay, maybe I better clean up my behavior. No, no, no. He got worse, and his wife started joining in the fun, quote-unquote. So this time he kidnapped six children and sexually and physically abused them while his wife watched. He used to put on elaborate stage plays in his castle for his wife, where these children were abused, tortured, all sorts of awful things while his wife looked on. And he had three children at home. I... I don't know, guys. Finally, in 1776, he was tricked into returning to Paris to see his sick mother, who was already dead in actuality. So they told him his mother was very sick, but she was dead. They're like, come to Paris. You need to say goodbye to your mother. Well, when he got there, he was arrested and thrown in the Chateau de Vincennes. 
He successfully did appeal his death penalty because no no prostitutes ended up dying, so why would he have a death sentence? But either way, thanks to the lettre de cachet that his mother-in-law procured, he remained imprisoned. While at the Chateau de Vicennes, he began to write once more, this time not a memoir, but his first dirty novel. 120 Days of Sodom. I could tell you what that was about. Could go into detail, the plot of the story. <sighs> I don't want to. I'm not gonna. You can Google it. It's... Like I said, when I started this, I was like, oh, his stories will just be, you know, slightly ooh, body, a little naughty, like, oh, okay, for the time. No, guys, this stuff is so offensive even today. I... There's movies of this book. Find it on your own because I'm not going into the plot because it's horrific. He wrote it on a long, continuous roll of paper in very small handwriting. And when he was moved to the Bastille in 1784, he hid the writing in a hole in the wall. He was not done with the story and was unable to retrieve the roll of paper when he was transferred on July 4th, 1789 to an insane asylum. So what was his offense that got him kicked out of the Bastille? He was yelling to people below the prison saying they were killing prisoners. Now pay attention to the date there, July 4th, 1789. You history buffs should know what's coming in the next couple days. Ten days after he was moved to the insane asylum, the storming of the Bastille happened. So he was probably kind of lucky to get out. But he was devastated because he thought his book had been destroyed and he was never going to get it back. Luckily for him, it was saved by a man named Arnaud de Saint-Maximin a mere two days prior to the storming. While at the insane Asylum, he continued to write. This time he wrote his two most famous books, Justine, or The Misfortunes of Virtue, and Juliet, or Vice Aptly Rewarded. So this was about two sisters, Justine, who was the good and virtuous one who was getting abused every step of the way, and Juliet, who was the more vice-ridden one who was enjoying life and thriving while her sister was struggling. Now, as for Saad, he was released from his sentence in 1790 when letters de cachet were outlawed. His wife divorced him at that time. And when he returned to his castle in Lacoste, he found that it had been destroyed by angry mobs. This happened in 1789, a year prior to him being released. So with nothing more for him there, he ended up moving back to Paris and tried to erase his aristocratic past by going by Citizen Saad. He became a politician for the National Convention, where he was elected to represent the far left. Like, super far left. So far left. But his son ended up deserting his military post and it made him look bad to his new compadres. And he continuously criticized Maximilien Robespierre, who was one of the heroes of the French Revolution. And on December 5th, 1793, he was arrested again. His crime? Monitorism. Which is the crime of not wanting people guillotined or killed as much as they were being killed during the Reign of Terror. So basically speaking out against the government during the Reign of Terror. He was very lucky to escape execution himself. 
He was released in 1794, and within two years he was broke and had to sell the land on which his beloved castle, Lacoste, once stood. But his books were beginning to get noticed. Justine was published anonymously in 1791, and the sequel, Juliet, made it out for public consumption in 1797, again anonymously. Now our boy Saad was enjoying his anonymous, not-so-anonymous fame when the books came to the attention of Napoleon in 1801. He demanded that the anonymous author be found and arrested at once. And he was arrested at his publisher's office, and he was sentenced without trial. First, he was placed in the Saint-Pelagie prison, but because he was trying to seduce other prisoners, he was sent to Bicetra Asylum, which was a very unpleasant place. His family had him declared insane, and he was moved to the somewhat but only slightly better asylum at Sherrington. It was there he met a kinder religious figure in Abbe de Cumier. He would allow him to write and perform plays with other patients performing as well, but in 1809, police demanded that he would be placed in isolation and his paper, pens, or quills be removed, and that the plays cease immediately. He spent the rest of his life in isolation, save for the visits from one of his underage victims, because he was gross until the end. He stated in his will that he didn't want his body opened or autopsied or messed with for 48 hours, and he wanted to be buried on a piece of property he once owned. His wishes were ignored, and he was buried on Charnatan grounds. His books were banned for about 200 years or so, give or take. I believe one of them was released in 1957. I'm not sure which one that was. I think it was 120 Days of Sodom. But um, a lot of his books kind of came back out in the late 50s, early 60s, into the 70s. So they were banned for a very long time in France and everywhere else. Also, there's been several uh, movies made from his books. There's a mostly done by Italian folks, filmmakers. So I know that Justine was made into a movie. 120 Days of Sodom was a big movie. It's a big art house movie and it's really graphic. Um, I haven't seen it, but that's that's what I gathered from learning about it. Um, I don't believe Juliet's been turned into a movie, but never say never. Also, there was a movie that came out, um, I believe in 1997, called Quills that I have seen. Um, it painted him, you know, in a libertine light, but he was, there was a softness about him. Now, it was a big dramatization, though, because um, the they do have, uh, uh, oh, sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the name, Abbe Comier, um, who's played by... Joaquin Phoenix in this one, um, in real life, the man was like four feet tall and had a really bad hunchback and skin problems. So he wasn't quite, I, I know that Joaquin Phoenix is kind of a, um, a, a, an acquired taste, if you will, but the man did not look anything like Joaquin Phoenix. And Madeline, who was played by Kate Winslet, was actually, at the time supposedly 14 years old, didn't work at the asylum, and she was his lover. Whereas in the movie, she's in love with the Abbey rather than uh, the Marquis de Sade, and the Marquis has a soft spot for her, but he's only slightly inappropriate with her. Um, and then she ends up dying, which didn't happen. She was 
the the underage victim that I was talking about uh, was with him until his death. They were together four years, so went from the time she was 14 to when she was 18. So she outlived him. She didn't really die in real life. So, and also, the way he died was not how he died. He likely just died of natural causes. Um, he was he wasn't Jeffrey Rush skinny at that at that time of his life. As he grew older, he kind of became obese, and he did not have his tongue cut off or anything like that. It was just he died of natural causes. So that's the story of Marquis de Sade. Now I know I made a promise that I was going to read part of one of his stories so that'll be coming up next because <laughs> i need a break before i do this i need a drink or something <laughs> it's not gonna be pretty but i'm gonna tell you i'm not picking something that's gonna offend everybody and alienate all my listeners so it'll be slightly offensive but um i think i think if i can handle it you can handle it but if not you know like i said before you can turn this off and we'll see you next week. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and read this excerpt. This is an excerpt from Justine. All a tremble, I arrived. De Bourg was alone and in a state yet more indecent than on the previous day. Brutality, libertinage, all the characteristics of debauchy glittered in his cunning glances. Thank de Rocher, he said harshly. For it is as a favor to her, I intend to show you an instant's kindness. You must surely be aware how little you deserve it after your performance yesterday. Undress yourself, and if you once again manifest the least resistance to my desires, two men waiting for you in the next room will conduct you to a place whence you will never emerge alive. Oh, monsieur, I say, weeping, clutching the wicked man's knees, unbend, I beseech you, be so generous as to relieve me without requiring what would be so costly. I should rather offer you my life than submit to it. Yes, I prefer to die a thousand times over than violate the principles I received in my childhood. Monsieur, monsieur, constrain me not, I entreat you. Can you conceive of gleaning happiness in the depths of tears and disgust? Dare you suspect pleasure where you see not but loathing? No sooner shall you have consummated your crime than... Despair will overwhelm you with remorse. But the infamies to which de Bourg abandoned himself prevented me from continuing. That I was able to have believed myself capable of touching a man who was already finding, in the very spectacle of my suffering, one further vehicle for his horrible passions. Would you believe it, madame? Becoming inflamed by the shrill accents of my pleadings, savoring them inhumanely, the wretch disposed himself for his criminal attempts. He gets up and exhibiting himself to me in a state over which is seldom triumphant and wherein the opposition of the object which causes reason's downfall is but an additional ailment to delirium. Whew. He seizes me brutally, impetuously snatches away the veils which still conceal what he burns to enjoy. He caresses me. Oh, what a picture, great God! What unheard of mingling of harshness and lewdness! Jesus Christ! <laughs> this is hard to read. It seemed that the Supreme Being wished, in that all of my first encounters, to imprint, to imprint forever in me all the horror I was to have for a kind of crime whence there was to be born 
the torrent of evils that have beset me since. But must I complain of them? No. Needless to say, to his excesses I owe my salvation. Had there been a le- had there been less debauchery in him, I were a ruined girl. De Borg's flames were extinguished in the fury of his enterprises. Heaven intervened on my behalf against the monster before he could commit the offenses he was readying for, and the loss of his powers before the sacrifice could occur preserved me from being its victim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. The consequence was that de Berg became nothing if not more insolent. He laid upon me the blame for his weakness mistakes wanted to repair them with new outrages and yet mortifying inve- what's the new word invectivities there was nothing he did not say to me nothing he did not attempt nothing his perfidious imagination his adamantine character and the deprivation of his manners did not lead him to undertake my clumsiness made him impatient and i was far from wishing to participate in the thing to lend myself to it was as much as i could do my remorse remained lively. However, it was all for naught. Submitting to him, I ceased to inflame him. In vain, he passed successively from tenderness to rigor, from groveling to tyranny, from an air of decency to the pro- prolific... God, I can't read. Prophilicates gate... Pro- what? Oh, God. Some of these words. Pro... Profilgates excesses in vain, I say. There was nothing for it. We were both exhausted, and happily he was unable to recover what he needed to deliver more dangerous assaults. He gave it up, made me promise to come the next day, and to be sure of me, he refused absolutely to give me anything above the sum I owed de Rochers. Greatly humiliated by the adventure and firmly resolved, whatever might happen to me, not to expose myself a third time. I returned to where I was lodging. (laughs) That was hard to read because some of these words, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Just be glad I didn't read you the most famous part of Juliet where they talk about sewing up orifices and then using man parts to break them open again. Be glad I didn't read that because that's what I was thinking of reading. But then I'm like, hmm... I don't want to offend my listeners much more than I probably already have. All right, so that's it for the Marquis de Sade episode. I hope you enjoyed it. it. It was a little rough, but we got there. Sorry it's late. Also, I know how to pronounce guillotined. I know that in the previous, I didn't say it well, but I didn't feel like scrapping the whole thing just because I didn't know how to say guillotined in that moment. But hey... We, we've made it. We've made it through another week of this weird quarantine stuff. How long has it been now? Like two months? Is it over yet? No, not really. But soon, hopefully. You can find me on Twitter at CoffinCast with a capital C. You can find me on Instagram at CoffinCastPod. You can find me in Gmail at CoffinCastPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook just by searching CoffinCast. You can also find me on TeePublic. Don't forget if you're feeling in the mood for a coffin cast t-shirt or a mug or what have you, TeePublic. Go to TeePublic and search coffin cast and you'll find my stuff there. I also have links on uh, my Twitter page so you can 
take a look there. So that's it for this week, guys. I'm going to close it on a positive note because I think we all need some positivity. I just want to say that I am glad that you're around. I am glad that you were born. I am so happy that you exist. I hope you continue to exist. I hope you make it through this unscathed. And I hope you come back in another two weeks for another episode of Coffin Cast. I adore you. Thank you for listening. Rate, subscribe. But if you don't, I'm still glad you're listening and that you exist. Have a good one. See you soon.